0: and okay so last week got a little bit gypped because it was locked by. Omer. and uh this week we keep having these double partios, so you can't talk of each too much by each one there certainly is a lot and this is this is i wanted to focus because we're right before yom kippur am right kippur everywhere and uh you know as as with all the Yom Tovim, Hashem always makes it that the weekly portions, the Torah portions that are right before uh a holiday um are apropos and Shavuos is, is no different. So the the um in fact it's it's uh it, even the name. This week's parsha, the first parsha is parsha's behar. By the mountain, which mountain? Mount Sinai. So certainly that's where we're headed to we're in a little over a week. Really, uh, really important day for the Jewish people. And let's, uh, the best way to prepare, there's two best ways to prepare. One, obviously, is to learn Torah, because so you enhance your appreciation for the Torah, which is what we got. And also, the way that the Jewish people, 3,333 years ago, got ready to get the Torah was they refined their character traits. They worked on their mitos. So this week's Parsha, if we, I uh, took a little time. If you mind the Parsha, there is really a lot about working on one's mitos. And certainly hopefully helped me and hopefully other people get ready for Shavuos. So in Parachat, in chapter 25, verse 17... Is the idea that everybody everybody um, talks about this? Most people don't realize that it's actual verse in the Torah. It says below, so nu ish es amiso. Loosely translated, that means that a person should not hurt someone else's feelings. And one thinks maybe that's a modern 21st century softy thing, but it's actual mitzvah deraisa in the Torah. A, 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 you, you fulfill a positive I mean, if you don't do it and it's a negative thing if you do it not to hurt other people's feelings but then it says the interesting the rest of the verse talks about God it says don't hurt someone else's feelings and you will feel God because I am God so the commentators say why you bring God into the picture just say don't hurt other people's feelings. So I saw, I believe, as the Chavetz Chaim says that a lot of times a person may not even realize that you intentionally hurt their feelings. A lot of times um, people people's feelings accidentally get hurt. And sometimes we may even um, be cognizant and be doing it in a sneaky way or a subconscious way. Or sometimes it happens in a way where the only one who really knows what's going on is Hashem. And that's what the Torah is telling us, says the Chavetz Chaim, that make sure when it comes to hurting someone else's feelings, Hashem knows exactly what you could have done and what you did do. And 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 so therefore, we we when we when we're thinking about other people's feelings, um, don't just think, oh, is, is anyone gonna realize? Is the other person gonna realize? Even if the other person doesn't won't take it personally from you, but you you pain them. This is a miss from the Torah that we do. This is not a new thing we do recognize emotional pain, so much so that it is an isa derisa. It's a, it's a biblical prohibition. In fact, the famous uh, Talmud, Yushami in Jerusalem, Talmud, famous story with Pinchas ben Yair. Pinchas ben was a Tana from the time of the Mishniyas. And he says, uh, no, story story that's related about him is that he was walking uh, by the Genai River. I think it must have been a very, very strong river. I'm not sure which river that is today. And he was there with his students, and they needed to go. And there was no way to get through, and it was too. It was, it was very, very strong. And basically, a miracle happened, and the river uh, parted. It allowed for Rabbi Himmels here, and uh, really, first, it was just him. His students saw what happened. They're like, "Oh my gosh, kind of got the Yamsov. You know, Naksho went in and you know, do we follow what's going to happen? So the Pindus Benyari yelled back and he said, "Whoever does not is careful not to hurt other people's feelings will not get hurt." And we see how powerful the idea of not hurting other people's feelings is and uh, uh, keeping people's um you know, self-respect where it is. Another really famous one, which really you you hear this in in probably I think in all religious circles, and even very secular circles, it is it is uh, professed, but I don't think they realize where it comes from. In chapter 70, 26 verse thirty-seven. Did I get that right? Yeah, twenty-six thirty-seven. Um let it's already in the next part. I kind of there you go. 26, 37. Ah, okay. This is talking about in the second half of the second part. It talks about curses that will befall the Jewish people if we don't, if, if our relationship with Hashem is weakened. So it says a man will stumble over his brother. So, Rashi says a famous line here. The line Rashi says is... One second. Ah. Um, medrasho says Rashi. What is the, uh, uh, you know, uh, more deep understanding of this verse that a man will stumble on his brother? A man will stumble over his friend. He will stumble over the sin of his brother. What does that mean? Says Rashi, famously, Every Jewish person is a guarantor, is responsible for each other shikol yisrael i rave zeh lo which means says the way my is understanding the uh, the puzzle here that why are people in trouble because of other people's mistakes that you could have helped out with you you if you could in a position to be a guarantor to help them not make those mistakes and didn't do that Says Rashi, famously, everyone is a guarantor for each other. That's interesting. This verse is most famously used, it's more commonly used, when you have a problem, you need money, you need shelter, I should take care of you, which is certainly true. But that's actually a different verse. The idea of ko Yisrael, I'm responsible for you, and you're responsible for me, is talking about in spiritual matters. Physical matters is something else. This is a, a commandment to uphold your brother. And the Chavitz chayim famously uh, helps us understand this idea. He says, if someone is a guarantor for someone else, right? Someone uh, wants to borrow uh, $10,000 and I go over someone else as a mitzvah on the Torah to guarantor, someone else if you're in a position to when it makes sense to. So someone goes ahead and does that. Now they put themselves on the line. Technically speaking, a guarantor person doesn't pay. Hey, you're paying, you got to pay. So let's say I'm a guarantor for someone else, says the Chabad Siam, and I see that they are wasting away their money, they're not being responsible i think to myself one second if they're being irresponsible with their money i'm gonna have to pay for it so what do i do i do something about it i care about my friend but i care about myself because it's my responsibility everyone knows parents they have wonderful people but parents typically take hopefully take better care of their kids than other people's kids not it's because it's their real they feel a stronger responsibility says the word that the medrash uses and rashi quotes is on purpose. It doesn't just say every Jew needs to care about someone else. Everyone has to help someone else. The word used is ko Yisrael, every Jewish person, raven, which means they're a guarantor. An arev is a guarantor. Aravim is all that. The same way that a guarantor feels that tremendous responsibility and really in the full um, legal sense of the word or of the word is responsible, um, so that's the way it are, and this is, I guess, really my uh, this is what I do, so I better listen to this because um, and this. But the thing is, I was telling my wife the other day, you know, we have a lot of people that we're friendly with, people that don't necessarily know other people. There's a, there's a lot of people who my wife and I like, we know them, we know people, but they don't know each other, and and sometimes we make the think of saying someone one time said to, said to me and we all do it it's not meant in a, it's not meant in a mean way but it's if you understand this someone'll say oh you know uh, enough you know is that one of your people and i started correcting people and correcting myself Saying, no it's our uh, mutual it's our brother we're all the same We're um you know I, no, no one doesn't there's no one jew who is more responsible than anyone else Everyone, everyone's got to do what they can do okay so flip back so we have shemitah the seventh the sabbatical year this uh and this um rosh hashanah will be a sabbatical year which in america doesn't have much connotations but in israel it's a big deal it, it does affect us in some ways But it does talk about it again in this week's Parsha. And there is a famous theoretical conversation that the Torah shares with us. It says, um, verse 19 says, Hashem will make the land have lots of fruits, and you'll be satisfied. And then it says, perhaps you will ask the following question. What will we eat in the seventh year? This is the Torah talking. The Torah says, what will we eat in the seventh year? We're not planting. We're not gathering. And Hashem says, I will command my blessing that in the sixth year you will have enough produce for three years. Tremendous blessing. Incredible. This used to happen. Uh, I don't know if today it happens. I don't know if we deserving of such a blessing, but that is a blessing which definitely happened, and the Torah records it. Well, the Torah also records that in Shemitah, is a famous is is, probably, is also famous that one of the blessing was la'sova they would be satisfied and become full with less food, right? So what they would know is you say someone usually would need three slices of pizza, they have the one slice of pizza, and somehow, miraculously, you're full. So everybody asks over here, why do you need both blessings? If you keep Shemitah, you, you, you observe the laws of the sabbatical year, And you get a bumper crop of three years, then you have plenty of grain. And if your your grain, your food fills you up uh, with less, then you don't need as much food. Then you don't need the bumper crop. So that's the question. So I think I heard of a friend. I saw a friend. I think this is where I, where I saw this. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. But... I do remember the idea clearly. The idea is that they actually are both true. And different people got the blessing that made sense for them based on their level of faith in God. And this really is the way it works even today. So, to to just explain the verse first, if someone had a perfect trust in God, they said, you know what? I'm not worried about this. Then all then they didn't need the money in the bank they didn't need the bumper crop to get a bumper crop it means that once you get it then you don't you you don't really have to have that much faith because you have it in the bank. but someone who has a full faith in God doesn't need the money in the bank and they got the tremendous miracle of having um their food accomplished more and this is really true today. Sometimes to have this conversation with people. You know, sometimes, believe it or not, sometimes people actually ask me about how much they should give, uh, how much is responsible to give. And thank God, I actually really feel very privileged. I really have had the merit to um, enable people with very, very large discretionary income uh, to give a lot of money because they, they understood more how the Torah views money and what is what what is considered prudent and what's considered miserly and what's considered generous and the, the general role which the um the ish famously talks about and the shah B'tukhon and the gate on on trusting god he explains that it rea- the reality is is god's in charge we don't we don't re- our work is is all facade we can put in lots of work and nothing happens we could put in no work and things happen we all see that all the time i certainly see it all the time so how much do i have to do so chazanish explains that the way it works is you have to do enough work that you actually feel comfortable you you not 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 someone who's out to lunch and being naive and not thinking not in touch with their emotions but someone who is fully cognizant, they're, they're, in, the, in, they're in the driver's seat, and, and, and they feel God. They feel God there. And, and, and that's why a person can put, can, can put in a nine to five and then go home to their family. Because you said, look, I put in a good day's work. And, and we see great people throughout history. Sermon Shem Bayechai was one of them that they really, really felt God. And when you really feel God's right there, you don't need money. It's like, it's like when you go somewhere with your rich friend you go somewhere with your parents, you don't feel the need to bring cash, because yeah, my parents got this one, my friends got this one, my brother got this one, whoever it is, and that is a very important, and this doesn't only apply to money, it applies to health, it, and this is certainly very appropriate today. A lot of you know I think one of the biggest challenges over COVID has been you know the prudence versus uh um, neurosis. And it's been a really hard thing for really anyone to to, to really put their heads around time, just to to know what the appropriate amount of prudence, and at what point did I do enough, and um, And it's it's certainly one needs to take into account the science, but there one cannot ignore uh, the reality that there is Hashem here and uh, Something very, very uh, relevant today. So the beginning of the second chapter of, of second parsha talks about what happens if we do the right things when things are going good. So the Torah depicts a fantasia, a fantasies, like things are just this perfect life that can that, that can happen and has happened. And amongst the blessings that it says says. Saying how uh, there'll be so much food and there'll be rain and things will be peaceful and just amazing. It says, I'll place in my tabernacle inside you, will have the base of Mikdash. And it says, I will not become disgusted by you. Seems a very inappropriate line. I. Someone gets engaged, they say, "Sweetheart, I love you. You're the best. You're the you're my apple of my eye, and you don't disgust me." It's not a very good Hallmark card, right? You don't you don't give a a a, a, uh, anniversary card saying, "Dear, you know, you don't disgust me." (laughs) That's not something to say. So why is God sticking this in? It's like sandwiched between all these incredible depictions. And then it says, well, I will not become, my, my essence will never become disgusted by you. And I saw that the Sefer Shem HaTov explains a beautiful idea. God is telling the Jewish people that, you know what? I'm going to tell you something about our relationship. Our relationship is so strong. There is nothing you will ever do that will make you disgusting by me. I will never get sick of you. I will never get sick of you. There's nothing you can do sinful, annoying, hurtful. A human being can't do that. We can't do that. Unfortunately, even with family members and close friends, that we can't sign on the dotted line that there's nothing someone would do that would make us really be sick of them even momentarily. Momentarily, it could happen. could happen in, in good relationships, and, and it could happen. God says, it will never be that I I can't take you anymore. Sometimes, relationship, God feels certain that, that, that we have to be in exile, but it's never, ever, says God. Don't think when I put you in exile. Don't think when bad things happen. It's never because I'm sick of you. Never. O sigal nashi my essence will never become disgusted by you. And that is such a, should give us so much joy, so much power. And whenever we're feeling down and that nobody likes us, no one cares about us, and we're scared, and we always can know, it's a hard thing to develop, but we always can know that God cares about us, loves us, and we're not disgusted by him. There's a lot of discussion today about how independent a person should be. You know how much do you allow social pressure to dictate? How much do you allow social norms to, to, to inform our decisions? And in chapter 25, verse 9, talks about the Jubilee year. Now the Jubilee year was that you had you had the sabbatical year, once every seven years. So every seventh sabbatical cycle of sabbaticals, so you had seven times seven. The fiftieth year was the jubilee year, and that's really where we hear people call the jubilee anniversary, jubilee this. It comes from this. Called from Yovel. Jubilee is the English of Yovel. So the in the fiftieth year was like an extra sabbatical year with other rules, but that's basically what it was. So in chapter four twenty five verse nine, when it talks about the Yovel, it says that in the Yom Kippur after Yovel. So the beginning of the next cycle, or maybe it's the I think it's the Yom Kippur of Yovel. So the Yom Kippur of the 50th year, they shofar They 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 blew the shofar, and it says where should the shofar blow? B'chol arzechem in all of your lands. It's interesting. It's always it says to blow the shofar. You say okay, so of course you blow the shofar. What does it mean in all of your lands? So explanation like this. Why was the purpose of that chauffeur? The purpose of the chauffeur was there were numerous rules. Um, it's actually a person owned the real estate. A person owned, uh, you know, a respectable slave. It wasn't, it wasn't like an indentured servant. It wasn't anything that was cruel. it Was actually usually a kindness. When it came to the 50th year, the way the Jewish uh, um, you know finance system worked is generally speaking, there are exceptions, but real estate, any assets, as many 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 of a person's assets go back to their original owner, and that could be a very hard thing. Person owns something, own a property to give it back to the original owner. But the, the, what happens is, is they blow a shofar everywhere you go. So everybody hears the shofar. Says, so what, what's the Torah telling us? The Torah, now God in his infinite wisdom felt this is the most appropriate thing. But it's still, Hashem understands that it's difficult. It's very difficult. We find in many places in the Torah that Hashem understands parting with assets, parting with money is difficult. And Hashem said, you know what, let's make this a group activity. Let's, let's employ, instead of using sometimes social pressure, which has bad connotations, let's use social pressure in a good way. Because so I'm like, huh, one second. If I'm giving back my piece of real estate, he's also giving back his real estate. I have to let, let my servant go. He's also letting his servant go. Um, social pressure could be a good thing. And this is something when a lot of times today a person says, oh, I want to do things because I'm an independent thinker." Judaism is is replete with use the power of the community. Someone talks about community. Community. The main the main purpose of community is for the environment that will help you do the right thing. Yes, people help each other out physically, financially, all those things emotionally but the main thing again this is is, it's interesting a lot of times people think of community as like who takes care of you but the main thing of community says the torah is the spirituality and that's really what a what a a jewish person when a jewish person looks to um where they want to dive in where they want to live who they want to spend time with it's 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 about what's going to be best for my soul and a lot of times What's best for the soul isn't always best for the other factors. But the soul is the most important thing because the soul is forever. The soul is who you really are. It says in chapter 25, verse 14, ish A person should not cheat someone else. Why are we talking about cheating smack in middle of shemitah sabbatical year sabbatical all kinds of rules with agriculture and why are we talking about cheating so the message is obvious what's the concept of a sabbatical year concept of a sabbatical year is you're not supposed to take care of your land and let god do all the work things you know six six years you're in you show your control you feel you're in control once every seven years, the same concept of Shabbos on Shabbos on a, on a micro level. This is a macro level. And a, well, why would a person cheat? A person would only cheat if they don't believe in God. A person would only cheat if they don't believe that God has the ability and is interested in what's best for you and is in control. And therefore, you feel the need to cheat. This is always a challenge you have. I know I, I deal more and more with money and taxes and all kinds of things. And Try to make sure you do the right thing and really to do the right thing. If you believe in God is easy because, but if I'm going to, if I'm going to do something that's not really true or, 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 or to do something that would hurt someone else. Well, I'd only have to do that if I feel I need to do it to get it. But if you believe in God, God's going to get you whatever you need, regardless. I remember last year, you know, so I made some money on the side. I mean, you know, as a rabbi, trying to make you know, there's certain there's certain rabbinic things that make you money on the side. Uh, all kinds of rabbinic activities, and I, uh, I added up to well, uh, it was more it was more than a few bucks. It Certainly wasn't you know, thank God with seven kids and uh, was trying to make up lost ground, but it was a decent amount, and it was on a W-2, and I uh, really didn't want to pay taxes on that money. Because I would be it would be having to pay money that I didn't already spent and I would just have to find somewhere to pay. So I remember it was very close to tax deadline and I was the usual rabbi that I asked these questions to wasn't available. And I was like, you know what, I really just have to ask the question to someone because I didn't feel I had a good I have a thank God I've had the opportunity to learn some of these laws. But when it comes to yourself, sometimes you have to have a, a you know, another person because you know I'm uh, I'm biased. I want to keep my money. So I called a different rabbi than I usually do. I told him the situation. He asked me a few questions. He's like, "Yep. Yeah, you got uh, you got to that's that's taxable." And uh, it cost me a couple thousand dollars. And I was it was a little challenging, you know. Uh and I remember at the time that uh you know money's from God and God wants me to do this and God wants me to have more I'll get more. So that's the way it's supposed to be. Um now the khabds khayen I believe takes this to another level. The word while it's certainly in the literal sense is talking about cheating it also means to to make sure you're nice to other people. Don't hurt people with their money, don't hurt people with their emotions like like you mentioned before. And really, when, if you think about it, the reason why I would cheat and the reason why I would be not nice to someone at their core are at, from the same place. Was if I feel the need to be not nice to someone else, it usually means in some subconscious way that I'm not really fully satisfied with my lot. I'm not feeling good about my situation. I'm, ha- I'm not happy with it. And then what you do subconsciously, what we do is we uh, we feel the need to to uh, hurt other people, and somehow that in a very horrible way makes us feel better about ourselves. It really doesn't do that really because it's fake. It distracts us, or momentarily does because it levels the playing field. But really, being nice to people and and being pro- proper with your money all come when a person. The truth is, it says in the Gemara and. And Demakos famously says that the as the Jewish as the generations went on, so the, the leaders saw that you, you can't ha- have everyone f- so focused on 613 commandments and thousands of rabbinic things and customs. And the leaders kept trying to find ways to have like a focus point. And the Gemara says, the great Habakkuk he came along and he said, you know what. There's really one bottom line idea for all the mitzvos in the Torah. He said, "Saddik b'munasa yichya," that a tzaddik, a righteous person, he lives. What keeps him going? What's his, 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 uh, his blood? His blood. His, his what, what? What makes everything go? Is his emunah, his trust in God. God's got this. God's got everything. And if you do that, everything goes goes well. So it's kedai worthwhile, a person to take the time. There's books, there's classes, things a person could do to strengthen their uh, trust in God. And one of the main ways he's doing that actually is studying Torah. For studying Torah, and this is appropriate for Shavuot, studying Torah is actually a way of connecting to God. And the more you connect to God, of course you're going to trust him more because you're going to be, feel, feel closer. You trust people who we feel close to. A couple more ideas, then we'll wrap up. Chapter 26, verse 6 talks about all the blessings, incredible blessings that will, the Jewish people will get. What does it say? Hmm. I don't have the right verse. Oh, chapter 26, verse 6. Some of all the incredible blessings a bounty, and then it says. V'nasati shalom ba'aretz. I will place peace in the land. V'ashchabtem, you'll be able to lie down. The e'en macharid, and you will not tremble. And you will not tremble. So if you kind of put all the verses together, what comes out from it is all these incredible things, riches and everything, are all purposeless. They're They're, they're pointless. Unless you have peace. You find this throughout the Torah, it says, la shalom. The only thing that keeps everything you have together is peace. You can have money, you can have fame. If you don't have peace, you have nothing. People say if you don't have health, you don't have anything. That's health is very important, but that's not true. A person cannot, unfortunately, can not have their health, but if you have peace. Peace is, I just, I, I, throughout even my short life, I've had times when a lot of things are rocking, but if you don't have every, you know, you're not working well with all the people around you, uh, there's nothing more unsettling than that. That's something we have to realize when we sometimes uh, don't do that. Sometimes we, we think, well, success and this, my family, my kids, my, my spirituality, peace. I remember on uh, one of my trips, Israel trips, so it was a question to do something or not. It was a little sensitive issue. And it, might, it was a question of maybe being a little more lenient about a certain law. And uh, a religious person on the trip asked me, he said, you know, by Carp, you, know, uh, you know, you're, you're being, you're, is that being too lenient? And I said, you know, we, we're going to be strict in the mitzvah of shalom. Of course, you can't, you can't just say, well, peace and let's not, let's not eat kosher and let's not keep Shabbos. I'm not saying that. But the shalom is a real, real, real factor, and and we see that from here, that we see all this incredible blessing that Hashem was going to give the people wouldn't really amount to much, if not for peace. When the Pesach talks about the Jubilee year, it's very interesting what it does. You know, in math, my wife's a math teacher, you got to show your work in math. In science, you just got to answer the questions. In math, you don't show your work. That's half the, That's really half the answer. So in chapter twenty-five, verse eight, Torah says, "This is what we're doing now. Actually, we count the sphera. It says, "And you will count the seven uh, cycles of seven, seven cycles of seven years, seven times." And it says, and you'll have all the sevens, and it equals 49. The Torah just spells out all these numbers, which really we all know. And the Dubna Magid points out, he says, why is the Torah doing the math for us? We know. There's seven cycles, and that equals 49. We don't need the Torah to do that. And the Dubna Magad said, he gives a parable. It's famous for his parables. says that... Let's say you had someone who was a penny collector. And he had millions and millions and millions of pennies. That's what he did. At a certain point, pennies add up. But even millions of pennies is not a lot of money. And then he goes and he exchanges his pennies for gold. And he sees he doesn't have so much money. Why? Now, why was that person so stuck on collecting the pennies? Because he didn't realize how... Not important they were. He didn't value the stuff that's really important and realize he has a limited amount of time. If you're collecting pennies, you're not going to be collecting gold. I know in fundraising, if you need to raise $400,000, you can't only collect pennies. You have to have crowd funds like we think I did to collect all the small donations. You need everyone's help, but you're trying to raise $400,000, you can't walk around getting pennies. So says the, the Torah wanted us to count by 50. It says a human being, most human beings are going to have one, maybe two yovel years in their life. He said if a person looks at his years as cycles of 50, he realized how short life really is. And he's not going to waste his time with pennies. Not going to raise your time with pettiness right? No pennies or pettiness. And then, so you don't have time for that. And I can tell you myself, when I know I'm really, really strapped for time, and I really have important things to do, those things don't bother you. I know when I'm at a wedding, you, you only have, you only have a couple hours of this wedding of your close family member. You only, you don't want to, you don't want to waste any, any time of that wedding, you know, getting upset about anything. You're busy fundraising, and you have to stay focused. I'm only going to Chicago, at some point. You go once a year. I know I have. It's not like New York, you know. New York, I know. If I miss the check, I'll probably end up back in New York sometime over the year. Chicago, I'm only going once a year. I don't. So when I'm there for three days, I'm laser focused on what I'm doing, right? I don't waste time with things that I'll waste time with. Even a lake, well, you know, Lake Okay, I'm here. You know, I'll go shmai around. Maybe I'll stop over there. Don't have time for that, because it's a very, very small window. Two more ideas. Chapter 26, verse 6. Chapter 26, verse 6. So back to the verse. It says, I'll put peace in the land, and you'll lie down, and you won't tremble. So the bear Moshe asks, if there's peace, and you're going to sleep, why would you be trembling? There's peace, and you're sleeping. What are you worried about? Well, you're sleeping and not worrying about it. If there's peace, what are you worrying about? So what, what does it have to add? There'll be peace, you'll lie down, and you won't worry. So this, I'm going to close with these two really, really uh, profound ideas. The Moshe says, you know what? You know what can happen even when you have peace? And even when you have lots of money, what could creep in? Jealousy. That can co- even when you have all the money in the world and everything everything really is perfect, says the Barmosha, I'm going to Hashem. If you are deserving, Hashem will give you the bracha that we, you will be spared. You will merit to be spared the feelings of jealousy, which we all are not spared from. And it, it's a hard thing to do. So, so Hashem says, I, you'll get the blessing. And that, what's the lesson? We have to be cognizant of that. You can Things can be so good. And the only thing that's bothering us is just that we're jealous. But really, everything is, is perfect. Everything is perfect. And similarly, it says in chapter 26, verse 17, it's discussing the curses now. It says, You you will be, um, you will, your uh, people who hate you will run after you. It says, Then you'll run away. What does it say? You'll be running away and there'll be nobody chasing you. Says, I think it's also the Bermaisha says, That's the biggest curse. The biggest curse is when we're worried and there's nothing to worry about. Because if I'm worried, I don't have money and I don't have money. If I'm worried, I don't have health and I don't have the health. Then, okay, so you can work, you can go to a doctor, you can make money. But if what you're worried about is not even there, that's the biggest curse. And that is a curse. It's hysteria. It's It's a sickness. It's an emotional, really a a spiritual sickness. And says, Hashem, if you you don't treat our relationship properly, you will get the curse, the worst curse of running away when there's no one even running after you. Right? Everyone knows our biggest enemy is ourselves. The Jewish people's biggest enemy is the Jewish people mankind's biggest enemy is mankind and then after that everything's fine the animals aren't like that animals don't do that animals don't have don't have a soul the way we do. they have have a spiritual component to them but not the way we do so just a quick review a lot of a lot of powerful ideas first we saw how it's a mitzvah in the torah to not hurt someone else's feelings it's a real mitzvah the same way you would never put pig in your mouth not easy but really is the same thing not to hurt other people's feelings. Talked about the famous idea of "Call Yisrael of Rebunzel the I'm a guarantor for you, that really is talking about spiritual matters. If I can somehow help you spiritually, I have to help you. We talked about the different types of blessings that were given to the people in the, in the sabbatical year. You know, Hashem treats people on based on the level of how much they feel close to Him. Talked about why is it say that in the blessings that Hashem says He won't be disgusted with us, and that is to give us the inner security that there's nothing we can do that would make Hashem be sick of us or disgusted by us. He cannot like what we do; He can think it's wrong, but there's nothing we could do to make Hashem get sick of us. And just a little lesson: we want to be those kind of people. We want to exude that to our close family and friends. That even though there's things that they they can do that would annoy us, that we want it as much as we can. We're not like Hashem, but they should feel there's nothing we can do that would make us that we we had enough of them. We could be annoyed, we could be upset, but we don't. God forbid, we don't want we don't want them to to that we had that that, that we had enough of them. And that's the most powerful thing they say. That's what parents do. The parent parents can do for a child for the rest of their life. It is really very hard to to replace that. You see that, you see that. You know, there are people who make up for, for lost time, but kids who, God forbid, didn't have that, they're, they're always catching up, never catching up. We said how the purpose of the for by the Jubilee year was to elicit the power, the positive power of social pressure, and we should use that social pressure. We should create a positive social pressure we talked about that the essence of cheating and the essence of not being nice to people is a lack of trust in God. We talked about how peace is the most valuable thing. the Magid explained how we should not walk around collecting pennies we should not be petty. talked about from the Bermoha how the the jealousy could mess up everything. And we talked about how the worst thing could be when a person is just running away from nothing. And we should identify when that's happening. And we have one week to shrew us. Let's continue to get ready. Have a beautiful Valsatara.